This is a 980 CKNW podcast. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. Happy Thanksgiving. A little reminder there for all of you Canadians listening out there tonight. Uh, you know what? You have the turkey, the stuffing, a little bit extra gravy, and you're probably thinking, i got to do a set of stairs, or I've got to exercise to work some of this off. Well, I was incredibly interested in some research out of the University of British Columbia where exercise reduces stress and improves cellular health and family Caregivers, Dr. Eli Putterman, who is a Canada Research Chair in Physical Activity and Health and a Michael Smith Foundation for Health Research Scholar, joins me on the line to talk about this research because it's so important as we live longer and we want to age at home. We often have caregivers and they're often family members and they're getting younger and younger all the time. And the caregiver's health is critical as well. Dr. Putterman, thank you so much for joining me on the line. Uh, It's my pleasure. So very Happy in- Thanksgiving. Thank you so much. Uh, so very interesting research. Uh, you know, we, we think about the person who is aging, aging in place, happier aging, all, all sorts of things, staying at home potentially. And oftentimes, family members are tasked with being the caregivers and their health is at risk. And we hear a little bit about that, but not too much. So tell me about the research that you did uh, that demonstrated the importance of exercise. Well, I'll give you a little bit of a background to uh, to the study because, as, as you said, that they, you know it's important to uh, look at the caregiver because of the amount of information that we know about the increased risk of depression, cardiovascular disease, and early mortality. So, a decrease in the health span and lifespan of uh, family caregivers. So. From a psychology perspective, I was really interested in seeing if there's anything we can do to kind of dampen or mitigate the negative impact on one's health and psychological and physical of caregiving. Um, I conducted this research, uh, started conducting it when I was in San Francisco, and then I moved up to the University of British Columbia. Uh, and the purpose of the study was to look to see, can we support family caregivers who are currently not uh, working out, not exercising, not moving as much as they would like to? Can we help them over a six-month period to increase their levels of physical activity? And if we can, what is its impact? Can we reduce their stress levels? Can we uh, improve their cardiovascular uh, health parameters, their respiratory fitness, aerobic fitness, how well they can take in oxygen? Can we uh, reverse any of the damage? And one of the things that um, from my background as a health psychologist specifically, I was really interested in being able to look at some of these underlying cellular mechanisms that might uh, be um, uh, that might be improved uh, in the face of uh, exercise or when you're exercising in the face of stress. And that outcome has been cellular aging for most of my career as a researcher. Um, so that's where I was looking at. So our cells, at. our cells get older be based, uh, because of stress, because of, uh, everyday stress and, and additional stress Yeah, and not moving basically. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. So, our, I mean, our cells are always aging at the end of the day, all of our cells will die and will die. So mm-hmm. that's, that's just a given. Right. But they um, might and, age faster. So blunt about it. Exactly. They will age faster based on uh, partly genetically. Our genetics will uh, kind of lead to an environment uh, in, our, in our cells of whether our telomeres, which is what we look at, will shorten and whether our cells will 
age, uh, um, whether else our cells will age uh, rapidly or slowly. So that genetics is a part of it. But then from the moment we come out of the womb, uh, also within, you, within the womb, there's all these external factors that can influence uh, apart from our genetics, influence the acceleration or the deceleration of the aging process. And stress uh, in rodent models and in other animals has been shown to, if you stress out animals, it's shown to uh, rapidly increase the rate of aging. In humans, it's hard to prove that uh, in terms of, you know, I can't take you and stress you out and then see uh, what happens over a year-long period, but I can monitor you and observe you for a few years of your life or 10 years or 20 years of your life, kind of count how much stress has happened over that period of time, look at the behaviors that you engage in, and look to see how these individually and, and also collectively uh, impact the, the aging process. Uh, my previous research has just basically observationally shown that over a period of time, let's say a year or five years, uh, accumulation of stress over that period of time or and engaging in poor health behaviors of not enough physical activity, poor sleep, poor diet can accumulate together to even further accelerate uh, aging processes. Um, this was one of the, yeah, and this study was really exciting because I was able to take people who are stressed out, I can't do anything about that. Uh, I, I can't manipulate the stress, nor do I want to make people more stressed in their lives but I could potentially uh, intercede or, or kind of impact the rate of aging and maybe decrease, decrease their stress levels with a physical activity intervention. So you, so you enrolled 68 participants and you divided them into two groups randomly. And what did you do with each group? Uh, so the first group that was randomized uh, to the exercise arm, which is how we call it, uh, I provided them with a what we were calling a fitness coach. It was a study-appointed coach who met them at the gym. We gave them a free gym membership. We partnered with the YMCA in, San, in the San Francisco Bay Area, and we gave them a free membership to any YMCA that was close to them. Uh, so we made it really convenient for them to have a free membership in, a, in their neighborhood. We also, so when we met them at the gym, we got them to be introduced to the gym by some of their fitness staff, and then we met with them and had a conversation with them about their goals, their aspirations over the next six months, what, what they thought would help them uh, become physically active, and what they thought might be barriers to becoming more physically active. Everything from time, question, time a conversation around time, conversations around the burden of caregiving, conversations about stress levels, conversations about, I haven't done this in 20 years, how am I going to start this? And so we had a conversation about it. And then we gave them these monitors, and they every time they worked out, uh, they would uh, uh, they would wear these monitors, and weekly they would upload this data online. Then we would download it, and we prepare this progress report for them with these congratulatory statements embedded inside these progress reports, saying, "Congratulations, your week's goal was 80 minutes, and you got 130 minutes. Congratulations for going above and beyond." And if they didn't get the minutes that we had negotiated together to reach, uh, we would send an email saying, congratulations, you got 10 minutes. You moved for 10 minutes this week. There must have been some barriers. There must have been some challenges. But you should be proud of these 10 minutes because th that means that you were able to still do 10 minutes. And then we would call them up and have a conversation that lasted somewhere between 10 and 20 minutes 
around what made it easy to go out for those 10 minutes and what made it difficult to not go out for the rest of the minutes. And we would help them kind of figure out what they can do over the next week. And then we'd send, we'd send text messages over the week to all the participants saying, hey, today is Tuesday. You said you were going to work out on Tuesday. Don't forget to bring your friend along. And we would just send these encouraging text messages throughout the week. Right. Um, and, and that's what we did for six months straight. And what was the average age of the uh, participant in the research study? Uh, they, it was in the mid-60s. In yeah. the mid-60s. Yeah, they were yeah. in their early 60s. Yeah, early to mid-60s. We had uh, participants that were only 50 to 75-year-old. Okay, so that's an older population, and uh, you know, as as we age, uh, more of this responsibility is going to fall on younger people. So, what did you find out at the end of the study? What happened to those caregivers who adhered to the exercise program? Yeah, so compared to the control group who got all this package of support six months later, and we were we asked them to kind of remain as active as, as they were from baseline. Uh, compared to them, what we found was that the ones who exercised or were randomized to the exercise group, they, their, car, their cardiorespiratory fitness or their aerobic fitness, their capacity to use oxygen increased. Uh, their uh, BMI uh, decreased. Uh, the waist circumference de- decreased. Um, we found that their stress levels uh, decreased. And excitingly, we also found that at the cellular level that their telomeres apparently lengthened. Uh, it's the first study to show uh, telomere lengthening in a randomized trial, so that was really exciting. And that's associated um, with the longer And the control life? group stayed the same. Yeah. That's associated. And that's associated. Yeah. So longer telomeres uh, is associated with reduced risk of cardiovascular disease and longer life in some large epidemiological studies. There's still some controversy about the main mechanistic role of telomeres, but in general, the large epi studies, epidemiological studies, do suggest a link between having shortened telomeres and increased risk of disease and early mortality. And so how much exercise did the randomized exercise group uh, do each week on average? Yeah, so we started them off slow. We started them off at 60 minutes at low levels of the moderate level of activity, and we slowly progressed them to 150 minutes over the first two months of the study, and then tried to maintain them at 150 minutes, because that's what the CDC or the um, uh, uh, Public Health Agency of Canada recommends, is 150 minutes of moderate to vigorous activity. And we, by the end of the study, we had an average of uh, 80% of participants on average reached 120 minutes per week on average. And if we hit the goal of 150 minutes, which is what the agencies recommend, we had about a 75% maintenance. It's about 30 minutes of exercise, uh, aerobic exercise, four to five times a week we're looking at. Exactly. For somebody who wants to reduce their waistline, to trim their waistline. And, you know, I hear, I, I do, I have a sexual health clinical practice. And that's one of the biggest issues for women, especially at midlife. They feel that their abdomen has increased, the size of it has increased, it affects their body image, it affects their self-esteem, their clothing, their sense of themselves, it affects their sex lives. Uh, So that's not too much to ask 30 to 40 minutes, you know, four or five times a week, depending on how you look at it, um, you know, to have all of those benefits. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's not a lot to ask. We also have to change diet when it comes to wanting to reduce uh, weight, when it's wanting to reduce waist circumference. Um, you know, at the end of the day, whenever I 
think about uh, exercising, I always think about what's happening in my heart and what's happening uh, in the tissues around my, my, my uh, organs in my body. Um, because we know that the poor food, the high stress, the less activity is really having a hard time on our physiology within us. There are, there are a number of people, a lot of people who, you know, they, they are overweight or have obesity and they have very healthy hearts and they live long. And, That's right. uh, you know, I, our, our, our society focuses on the weight reduction. I like to focus on strengthening the heart and strengthening the, our physiology. That's what I like to focus on. That's actually what has helped me maintain a long-term physical activity regimen as opposed to, I want big muscles or I want to look fit and thin. <laughs> and, you know, that's what's really helped me yes, was exactly. really getting rid of the vanity component. Right. And research would suggest that people who focus on their vanity, they're the ones who struggle more than people who focus on the physiological benefits and the mental benefits. Uh, you know, to show that we can reduce stress levels and mood on, and improve mood on, a, mood on a daily basis, that is impactful. That, a, that is important. It sure is. Dr. Eli Putterman, thank you so much for joining the Sunday Night Health Show. Uh, for more information about that, where would people uh, go to? It is, if they look my name up, Eli Putterman, P-U-T-E-R-M-A-N, and look at the Fitness, Aging, and Stress Lab at the University of British Columbia, they'll be able to find our uh, website and get more information and about the study and also find out about the future work we're doing. Thank you so much. And the, and the study is Exercise Reduces Stress, Improves Cellular Health and Family Caregivers. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. I'm going to talk to you about an affliction of mine, people-pleasing, but I have a little foreplay for you, which involves mansplaining. I have so much fun on LinkedIn. But before that, Catherine from Surrey, British Columbia is on the line. Hello, Catherine. Hi, Maureen. How are you? I'm doing good. Good. Happy Thanksgiving. Thank you. You too. Thank you. I heard your segment there, and I had to call in because calisthenics, when I do them, I use a a CD by Luba, and it's Between Heaven and Earth, and it it has to have the right beat and the right timing, and it's perfect to do exercise, too. Excellent. I'll have to check that out. I love music. As you know, it feeds my soul. Mm -hmm. If you've listened to the show before, when you you (laughs) didn't have anything better to do. (laughs) No. I love listening. And when I'm doing housework, doing whatever I'm doing, you guys are always on. Oh, you're very sweet. Yes. So Luba is that, um, she's a Canadian musician and singer, and she's of Ukrainian descent. Is that the one that I'm thinking of? Yes, yes, yes. Great. Is she Quebec or something like that? Back east? I think so. Yes, yes. Yeah. uh, Oh, fantastic. Well, that's a great share. I really appreciate you calling in and letting us know that. Next time I vacuum, I'm going (laughs) to turn on Luba. (laughs) Get some lube and turn on Luba. (laughs) We have a prize to give out tonight, too, the turkey baster. Why why don't I wait till next week? Catherine, thank you so much for your call. (laughs) I forgot about that. It might be a little bit late in the program to give out my gigantic. It reminded me of a turkey baster and I've been decluttering. It was in my office and I thought, what the heck? The O-Wand. If you want to win the O-Wand, give us a call. 1-877-399-9898. Um, I do want to talk about <laughs> I have so much fun on LinkedIn. I can't believe it. But anyway, I get these messages from these guys. I get 
so many messages, but one um, fellow emailed me, hey, Maureen, just viewed the no sex marriage and became an instant fan. That's my TEDx talk. Glad to see we have some mutual connections. Thanks for sharing your passion. Your wisdom is sorely needed in an ever-growing isolated world. And thank you, all capitals, for affirming what I've known all along. Sex never ends. Sweet validation. Smile emoji. (laughs) Cheers. So I wrote back. This guy's tagline was make agriculture great again. So I said, dear Tom, thanks for your note. <laughs> it's an important part of that, uh, important aspect of life indeed. And then I said, hey, hope that make agriculture great again isn't a nod to you know who. With him in there, I'm afraid healthy sex will diminish. Women will be too busy making signs for protests, fighting the patriarchy and sexual assault, a huge issue on our streets and our homes and our workplaces and media and entertainment. I'm extremely passionate about healthy, respectful relationships as well. Equality is critical. We have a long way to go. So he writes back to me. Nah, he's got a mansplain. Nah, Facebook is for politics. LinkedIn is for networking of like-minded professionals. I try hard to stay apolitical on LinkedIn and appreciate when others show the same courtesy. Honestly. So I, he carried on and carried on. And he's a huge fan of you-know-who, uh, whose name shall be, who shall be nameless. If he helps to M-A-G-A um, by uh, promoting a hemp economy. Anyway. I said, you know, you're poking a lot of bears, my friend. Uh, So when I come back, we're going to be talking about people pleasing. And, uh, you know, I'm not always a people pleaser. I can stand my own ground every now and and again. Um, He said, sorry, you can't get past the tagline, but it's my brand. But it's a little political, don't you think? That was my point. Regardless, his tagline inspired me. Head on over to LinkedIn. You can read my latest blog, if you will, all about how we can make sex great again. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. I've got Andrew behind the board tonight uh, doing a bang-up job as usual. I want to talk a little bit um, about me because this is all about me. No, I'm just kidding. But if you're anything like me, you're a people pleaser too. Uh, there's this association with people pleasing to low self-esteem, which kind (laughs) of was a little disappointing to read that. My reason for people pleasing is I just inherently like everybody to be happy. Do you like everyone to be happy, Andrew? (laughs) Uh, yeah, I would call myself a people pleaser. Would you? Yeah. Like I, I unashamedly admit that I'm one to kind of, I'll, I will drop things if I need to do them for the sake of somebody saying, hey, can you help me? And I'm like, yeah, I sure can. Exactly. Yeah, I was just going to go to the dentist to have my cavity filled. But no, I can actually bring your garbage out. (laughs) Exactly. That that, that is the exact kind of nonsense that I would pull. Been there. It's depleting. It's not good for us. And so I'm I'm in constant, uh, I'm constantly working on this, uh, constant rehab. Um, over how to say no effectively because I'm afraid I'm going to hurt somebody. But we all should know that we have we have choices. And, and if someone asks or, or tells you to do something, you can say yes, no, or maybe. Or answer a little bit later. That's the other thing. I like to get everything done. I like to tick the boxes. Uh, but you don't have to say yes even if you feel like you do. But oftentimes people will say, I feel obliged to or I just feel I should, I should or, you know, they've been good to me or whatever. But, you know, you have to make sure it doesn't deplete you. So you want to learn how to say no. And no is a very important word and that doesn't need an explanation. 
so, because if you don't, if you say yes all the time, it can lead to stress. But you know, start by saying no to something small, something that doesn't really matter that much. Uh, be assertive. Be empathetic. If a flat no seems harsh, you know, be creative. Just show your understanding around it. You'd love to help, but you're not able to at this time. That says maybe later. <laughs> maybe later you'll come to regret it. But And take some time to think about it. And remember, your boundaries are like your values. They help you to determine what you are and aren't comfortable doing for other people. So you don't have to respond immediately to somebody when they ask you for something. You know, you can say, I, can I have some time to think about that? Or, you know, I'll get back to you. You can think it over. You can ask yourself if you feel pressured, if you have too much on, and and maybe think about possible conflicts. So once you say yes, you're stuck. So really think about that. So there's lots of ways that you don't have to be a people pleaser. But I like everyone happy. Middle child, maybe that's it. I just think, why not be optimistic and positive? You know, why drag the whole conversation down? Just And also... The kind of productive, high-energy people, they can get things done. As they say, give something to a busy person. It will get done. But also sometimes you can find this where people are like, what restaurant do you want to go to? And it's like, oh, I don't care. Or maybe they don't even ask. They just assume. We're just going to go to this restaurant, you know, because they're only thinking about themselves. So it's important to stand up for yourself and say, you know what? I might like Korean food tonight or, you know, something hot and spicy. Uh, so anyway, but next week I'm going to go into this a little bit more deeply. And I'm going to talk to you about how you can use passion by finding your inner lover as a way to self-empowerment. So that's next week. So I do hope you'll stay with me. If you have any questions, give me a call, one 399 You can email me, nursetalk at hotmail.com. You can text me, 604-449-8459. If you have anything private you want to discuss happy to do so at any time remember i'm your basic run-of-the-mill garden variety people pleaser i had an email from a listener last week when we were talking about adhd and he wrote to me dear maureen we were talking about ADD, adhd i was also diagnosed as a child and at 16 due to insomnia refused to continue with medication until my late 20s when i began again Undoubtedly, it has helped me with work and my personal life. Now at 36, after some research, we are looking back at an event that triggered these symptoms, an undiagnosed concussion. Head injuries have very similar symptoms. Any thoughts? If this is the case, are drugs like Wellbutrin and Concerta an effective solution, or should we be focusing on repairing damage through alternative methods of treatment? First of all, I want to tell you what... Wellbutrin is. Wellbutrin is an antidepressant. It is used to treat major depression and to prevent that autumn, winter, seasonal depression in particular. It's other, uh, an, another name for it is bupropion. And uh, it's, it works by affecting the balance of your noradrenaline and dopamine. And those are chemicals that occur naturally in the brain and affect your mood. So that is what Wellbutrin is. And then Concerta is methylphenidate, which is another um, type of medication. It belongs to the family of stimulants. And that's used to treat attention deficit hyperactivity disorder by increasing attention and decreasing restlessness in children, adolescents, and adults who have been diagnosed with ADD 
and ADHD. And so those are two very different medications for two very different reasons. So there was a study that was done um, that uh, it was a small study, um, mild traumatic brain injury, which is effectively a concussion and attention deficit hyperactivity disorder in young student athletes. And in that study, no ADHD symptoms worsened um, for most of the participants. In fact, in only one patient did it worsen. But, um, you know, for somebody who has had ADHD and then has had a traumatic brain injury, it's important that you get assessed. I really can't tell you what, what treatment um, you need, but um, it's so important that you get assessed by somebody who uh, is able to evaluate you by pulling together all of the clues from your history, your presentation, how you react to with your parents, how you react with your family members, how you react with your coworkers, and um, and what they know of your cultural norms as well. And this is what is known as the art of psych- psychiatry. So a psychiatrist may be best uh, trained to deal with this particular issue that you have. So long-term sequela of traumatic brain injury is one of those presentations that can be seen pretty quickly for people who have the experience. So for psychiatrists, they're trained in this. Typically, somebody, a patient will come in, they might complain of poor concentration, poor sleep, agitation, and mood swings. And they may have been diagnosed diagnosed with ADHD as a child. Maybe the medications aren't working as expected. Maybe the stimulant, which is Concerta, made them more aggressive. Uh, The mood stabilizer perhaps uh, made a person incredibly sleepy, um, not, not really in touch, And the person tends to have a presentation that is subtly different from somebody with ADHD. They may have more word finding difficulties. They may be, they may have restricted emotional reactivity when talking about certain events, happy or sad. And memory tends to be more of an issue as well. They can't remember things and that that can be, it can drive people crazy in a relationship. So a lot of these symptoms can drive the person crazy and drive the people who love them crazy as well. And the key to the history may in fact be a brain injury. And sometimes it's obvious you may have had a car accident, you may have had a hockey um, concussion from hockey, uh, you may have had a slip on the ice. And, you know, and so the mystery is solved. It can, it can certainly be ADHD, which was diagnosed prior to a concussion, and then a concussion can actually... Um, actually make things so much worse and you may have more symptoms uh, than just the ADHD symptoms, which are typically executive function system symptoms, um, organization, um, you know, um, time management, that type of thing. And, you know, a lot of people with concussions suffer poor sleep, moodiness, they get headaches. Um, and, the, the short-term traumatic brain injury or concussive, concussive symptoms are typically are headache, sensory symptoms like ringing in the ears, double vision, bad sleep, as I mentioned, or sleepy, maybe you're, you're sleepier, memory issues. And then there's a, a, typically you have an improvement after a time, especially if you have followed the advice of your doctor and you don't turn on the TV and you don't use your computer and you rest your brain, which has a gelatinous type of consistency. So it's really important that the brain heals. But there can be some long-term sequela. And 
it can be moodiness, poor sleep, impulsivity, poor concentration. And the combination of moodiness and impulsivity has a cost when it comes to more serious issues because they people who have experienced concussions or traumatic brain injury after um, ADHD or even without the face in the in the face of ADHD, concussions and skull fractures double the risk of death by suicide, according to a recent study of seven million people in Denmark over the age of ten. Uh, found that 7.6 had received medical care for a traumatic brain injury over a period of 34 years between 1980 and 2014. Some 34,500 or so people from this cohort died by suicide in this time period. So a history of traumatic brain injury or skull fracture doubled the risk of suicide and a history of severe traumatic brain injury increased the risk even higher. This underscores the fact that these um, these are... These are serious conditions and can really impact the quality of somebody's life. The results held even accounting for other factors like education, socioeconomic status, psychiatric disorders, marital status, sex, age, and more. So you want to find the best way to treat traumatic brain injury. If you feel you've had a traumatic brain injury that has not been treated, keep persist in getting the right treatment and may I suggest a a psychiatrist, but may, I may also suggest if you haven't had a, a brain injury, uh, prevention is critical. Wear helmets when appropriate. Use your seat belts. Don't be too frisky in inappropriate shoes on ice, especially as winter is approaching because rote, slipping rotational injuries to the brain are horrific. And if you do get a concussion, take it seriously. Follow your medical advice. Get plenty of rest. No TV, no movies, no phone, no tablets, nothing else. Don't look at your phone. And your brain needs to heal. And if you have lingering symptoms, get more specialized treatment. Hopefully that was helpful. I am Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Health Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Lots to cover in this little last segment of the program. Want to tell you a little bit about some medications that have been approved in Canada, starting with a medication for ALS, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, otherwise known as Lou Gehrig's disease. It's a motor neuron disease that gradually paralyzes people because the brain is no longer able to communicate with the muscles of the body that we are typically able to move at will. And over time, as the muscles of the body break down, someone living with ALS will lose the ability to walk, talk, eat, swallow, and eventually breathe. There is no cure for ALS, but there is a new treatment, and Health Canada has approved a new ALS drug that is showing potential to slow progress of this fatal disease. The generic name is Edaravone, E-D-A-R-A-V-O-N-E, Edaravone. I think that's how you pronounce it. Its brand name is Radicava, and it's the first promising ALS drug to be approved in Canada in almost 20 years. Accordingly, you will be able to walk longer, you will be able to take care of yourself longer, you'll be able to work longer, and you'll be able to play with your children or your grandchildren longer. Canada is the fourth country to approve this drug after Japan, South Korea, and the U.S., as I mentioned, ALS is a neurogenerative disease, also known as Lou Gehrig's disease. And it's a very, very sad disease. Um, and it's, it's devastating for people to receive that diagnosis. Patients usually die within three to five years of diagnosis. And much of that time can be lived 
in a, uh, with a lot of challenge, challenges. At any one given time, 3,000 people in Canada are living with dis- this disease, ALS. And that number has not grown significantly. While about 1,000 new ALS patients are diagnosed each year, the same number of Canadians die annually from the disease. The, there has been another drug that has been approved in Canada since 2000, Rilazole, and that can extend life by up to about three months. But this new drug, Adaravone, was shown to have slowed the disease by 33% in a small clinical trial in Japan. It's only a small trial, but for pe- people facing this brutal disease, it offers some hope. So that's... Um, one of the medications that is approved across Canada by Health Canada. Um, another medication has been approved in British Columbia. This one is approved in every other province for British Columbia. <laughs> Hello, that's such a common thing. <laughs> it's Fibrostol, and it's for patients who have uterine fibroids. It's, it's only approved for those patients eligible for surgery. Uterine fibroids in women will create bulking sy- symptoms, pain um, that... It means that they will have multiple trips to the emergency department. Um, They will also suffer constipation, urinary incontinence, uh, and hysterectomy has typically only been the only surgery. But oftentimes women don't need, you know, they might be, this medication can be used to bridge a woman from perimenopause to menopause, for example. So this provides relief. It reduces the size of the um, Fibroid, uh, women can also experience vaginal bleeding, excessive vaginal bleeding that can lead to anemia. As a result, they, they lose time off work. It can affect their careers. Um, so this is very critical that British Columbia has finally gotten on board with the rest of Canada in approving this medication. So, well, we're at the end of the dinner. <laughs> the turkey is over. Andrew, thanks so much for a great job tonight, as usual. Always appreciate your... Um, keeping the boards going and uh, you do a great job. So happy Thanksgiving to you as well. And uh, remember, you can follow me on Twitter at back the number two, the bedroom, go on over to iTunes. You can subscribe over there, leave a comment if you like, um, because this show, if you've missed any part of it, or if you just feel like you have absolutely nothing to do, <laughs> you can go and listen to me again, <laughs> like Alex from Coquitlam. Um, but head on over to iTunes. It is a free download. Um, I haven't sung in a while, Andrew, and I'm just feeling love in the air. <laughs> You're feeling love in the air. Well, I mean, with those with those two callers, I mean, there was something there. There were definitely emotions. There were emotions. One one really liked me. One really didn't. I mean, do, like when I don't it's have okay. anything else to do, I don't necessarily think that's an awful thing to say. Like, there's a lot of things that I enjoy doing when I don't have anything else to do. This is true, and You're it's right. not a. Yep. And I'm not slanting those other things that I'm doing. My low self esteem is is rearing its ugly head. <laughs> Calls for a song. You need some. You need some ice cream. You need to just eat. I eat. need the creme brulee. You need some creme brulee ice cream. Ice cream on some Absolutely. on some rhubarb raspberry pie. <laughs> exactly. That's a wonderful thing. That is a wonderful thing. Well, thanks so much. Hopefully, we'll get some. But in the meantime, I'll have a little um, Thanksgiving blessing, and it's about love because I'm feeling very feeling the love today. Okay. <laughs> 
I was going to sing, love, look at the two of us, strangers in many ways. But I'm going to say this instead to make your day that much better. Love, we thank you now for love, love that stirs and soothes us, love that gathers us into all joy and delivers us from all brokenness, love that hears the soundless language, love that imagines and dreams, that can conquer all and willingly surrenders everything, love that brought us into our lives and love that will carry us home. I wish I was a poet. I'm not, but Daphne Rose Kingma is, and she actually created that poem. So I hope you've all had a wonderful Thanksgiving day. I hope you're all grateful for everything that you have in life, all the goodness. And if you're having troubles on this particular day, because sometimes it's lonely for people if they don't have somebody to spend time with. Our house house is a a place for all of those who don't have anywhere else to go. combined tables. I had to leave the table tonight and say, uh, by the way, don't worry about the dishes, anybody. (laughs) Just leave them for me. I'll take care of all of them when I get home. You people pleaser, you. (laughs) That was a guilt infliction, okay? (laughs) Wait, wait, wait. So you mean to tell me that you cooked, you cooked, (laughs) Yes. and then you told everyone to leave the dishes to you? Yeah, but I was only inflicting guilt. I do not expect to see any dishes when I I get home. There better not be any dishes when you get home. No, there better not be. I would be thoroughly disappointed. They were incensed that I called and said, you know, the dishes with the gold trim, they can't go in the dishwasher. They're already in, you know. (laughs) Well, take them out and put them in the sink. Anyway, it's a lot of fun. Who cares if your gold comes off your white plates? I mean, no big deal, right? <laughs> you eat off of them. They're not. If you're eating off of them, you're obviously not there to just look at them. This is true. Anyway, and on that note, I bid you adieu. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Whether you had something better to do or not, I really appreciate it. I'm Maureen McGrath, and you were listening to the Sunday Night Health Show on the Chorus Radio Network. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, TuneIn, Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.